0: Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis.
1: Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have another very interesting guest, a man who's right in the middle of something that's very important to us all, and that is the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina, and that would be one Christopher Chung. Christopher, thank you so much for being with us. You've been with us before a number of times, and you always bring us some great news because, business is good in north carolina and uh uh we we want to get an update on uh, uh, a number of the new industries that have already announced and maybe even you can give us some insight into what's going on but let's talk first about uh your job and, and what the economic development partnership actually does and how it's formed and and uh how it's governed
2: absolutely don it's always a pleasure to be back uh with you and thanks for having me uh the organization that i'm with the economic development partnership in north carolina we do several things under the banner of economic development on behalf of the state uh, working very closely with the north carolina department of commerce We're probably best known for our work being that tip of the spear in recruiting companies or at least trying to recruit companies to North Carolina from outside the state. Uh, that could be manufacturing, that could be food and beverage production, that could be a corporate headquarters or a technology facility or a biotech lab. It's those types of companies that we get the privilege of working with every day, hoping to convince them of the benefits of locating that growth here in North Carolina. But we also do another a number of other things that are very important for economic development in our state, including supporting the growth of existing employers, especially in the manufacturing sector. We do work to help promote North Carolina exports. That's really a lot about helping small and medium-sized manufacturers to connect with new customers around the world in hopes that those new sales will lead to those manufacturers growing right here in our state. We do some work around small business startup counseling, and this is really a, a team that answers phone calls and emails all day from individuals who are finally taking that leap Of starting their own businesses. And they need to understand what are those first few steps that they need to take to get up and going and and be on their way to launching a successful enterprise that's right here in North Carolina. And then, last but certainly not least, is our promotion of tourism and travel in North Carolina. And that's really about getting leisure travelers to come spend their summer vacation here or to take a trip into North Carolina and really support that big part of our economy that's really built around the the wonderful tourism and hospitality that you can enjoy here in the state, everywhere from the mountains to the coast. So all of these things, tourism, small business, international trade, existing business growth, and of course, new business recruitment, those all come under the banner of economic development. And, and they're, the, they're the work that we get to do at the EDPNC every day on behalf of the North Carolina Department of Commerce and really on behalf of the people of North Carolina.
1: Well, one of the things I think it uh, goes Sometimes unnoticed because we get all excited when we see a a big plant or a big industry or a big business relocate to North Carolina that's going to employ a thousand people or 500 people or a hundred and up is is large. But, uh, you know, all businesses start off with one employee. All businesses. That's right. Every single one. Yeah. So it is important to uh, support smaller new companies and entrepreneurs who are starting out because that can lead to some awfully big companies. And so I'm glad that that's one of the things that you look at and so forth. Generally speaking, uh, when I said business is good, North Carolina is a good place for people to look at. And so that makes your job at least uh, 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 at best a little bit uh, interesting because I'm sure that almost everyone who's looking to relocate at least takes a look at North Carolina. That's
2: a really great point. We do benefit absolutely in North Carolina from enjoying a really positive perception and reputation among not just, I wouldn't say it's just business leaders. Of course, it's those executives of companies that are ultimately making that decision about where they're going to look and ultimately where they locate their future expansion. And of course, it's great to enjoy a positive reputation with that audience. I would say as a state, though, and what this this is borne out through the past couple of decades now of population trends in the state, we also enjoy a really great reputation as a place for people not just to visit, but also to live. And that's why we continue to see people uh, like myself. I'm not from North Carolina, but I've been lucky enough to spend the past eight years here in this state. You continue to see people migrate here from other parts of the U.S. Uh, It's sometimes it's for economic reasons. They feel like they can get a job in their field more easily here in North Carolina. Sometimes it's for very personal reasons. Maybe they wanna get away from those gray, cold Midwestern winters like I knew growing up in Ohio. Maybe they want to get away from a state that perhaps they see as a little bit too expensive, like in New York or California. But we continue to see people come from all over the country, especially the Northeast and the Midwest. And that also is driven by a very positive reputation that we have as a beautiful state, as a welcoming state, um, and frankly, the kind of state that has all sorts of attributes and advantages that appeal to both the people and to businesses. And you are right. Very few states enjoy that kind of cachet with their target audiences. That gets us on the list, frankly, most of the time. Uh, and then hopefully from there, it's uh, it's a short hop to beating the competition that we're up against and, and getting some of those companies to commit to North Carolina.
1: And I want to put in a plug for higher education in our community college system because that uh, is one of the things that people look at in North Carolina and say, we've done ex- exceptionally well in, in developing.
2: It, it really is. you you And I know you know this from having your own business, but every company that economic developers are dealing with right now, and it, this is not unique to North Carolina, but certainly for our conversations, whether we're talking to existing companies that are already here, whether we're talking to new companies that are thinking about being here, frankly, whether it's some of the businesses that we interact with in the tourism work we do or the international trade work we do. Many, many companies, if not all companies, are to some extent having some difficulties, uh, challenges, hiring and retaining the kind of workers that they need to be successful because it's just a frankly very tough labor market if you are an employer. There's just a lot more competition for employees and every business sector in every part of this country is feeling that pinch. The nice thing is, We have this great university system that you talked about, which continues to crank out tens of thousands of well educated graduates into the economy every year here in the state Our four year research universities. We've got historically black colleges and universities all contributing to this talent pool that we can boast when we're out there talking to companies. And as you said, we've also got these two-year community colleges, which are, of course, graduating people with associate's degrees, but also doing a lot of customized training or credential-based training, which gives some very good skills for people that are looking to enter the workforce immediately. So all of these things, of course, contribute to the talent that we can make available to companies that are thinking about their future growth here in North Carolina.
1: Well, we've got the well-known research triangle, and that's based around uh, duke and north carolina uh state and unc chapel hill and i think one of the things that so many people don't realize how just how important it is is the research grants we get because we get a, a huge amount of federal grants for those three schools and others as well north carolina central gets grants uh, you know there's several other colleges that do but the principal ones come to those three schools and that's a huge economic uh, uh driver because that brings Thousands of dollars and in jobs into the area.
2: The, the academic institutions that we are fortunate are here in North Carolina, and it's of course here in the Triangle. It's also institutions like Wake Forest, uh, as well as places like UNC Charlotte. All, 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 of the above are very good, and we've got some universities that are excellent at drawing down some of that federal support, which enables these companies to stay or these universities to stay on the cutting edge of academic research. Where our challenge going forward as a state, of course, is is how do we take all that promising research that our universities are doing thanks to some of these federal grants and turn those research concepts into bankable commercial companies that will be the ones that end up creating jobs and making private sector investment in our state, whether that's in the life sciences, whether that's in technology or artificial intelligence or cybersecurity, Uh, biopharmaceuticals. There are so many different fields where our universities are excelling in in doing the research. How do we take that research and seed it into the form of startup companies and other private sector enterprise? That's going to be the bedrock of our economy for the next several decades. That's always the tricky part, but we start from a really strong place, as you said, because of the research funding that we draw down from the federal government.
1: And we haven't talked about climate because North Carolina is blessed with uh, Long, pleasant seasons, but we have a little bit of winter and a little bit of hot summer. And people seem to like that balance. Uh, I know every time we start recruiting uh, in the dead of winter, we always recruit Minnesota and those places. <laughs> right. And uh, right. we run ads up there and we tell people what the temperature is. Louis Grizzard uh, the, the uh, humor writer, wrote one time that Chicago had two seasons, 4th of July and winter.
2: <laughs> That's not far and, from the uh, truth.
1: That's not far from the truth, because it can get nippy in in, uh, Chicago. Of course, they have uh, a little longer summer than that, but uh, I thought that was a great line. Uh, Well, yeah, and, you know, you were talking about the community college system. I know that very often when a a county is in transition, uh, as was Cabarrus County, when it moved from basically textiles and uh, uh, cigarette manufacturing into other areas, the community college system is so great at uh, re-educating and uh, providing support to new industries coming in to give them the training from our labor force that matches up
2: that's right I mean, we are a state that has seen our economy go from and it wasn't all that long ago 35 maybe uh, years ago where we were dependent very much on sectors like furniture production or textile manufacturing and and tobacco, uh, whether that was growing it in tobacco farms or manufacturing the, the tobacco products themselves, like what Philip Morris used to do down there in Cabarrus County. And we have come a long way since those days. And when you look at the way our economy is built today, it's in these very high growth sectors, such as biotechnology, financial and professional services, advanced manufacturing, Food and beverage production. A perfect example, literally a perfect example of how this uh, change of economy works, is you go down to where Philip Morris used to have a very, very, it might, might have been their largest uh, cigarette manufacturing plant there in Concord in Cabarrus County. And that factory, of course, was demolished a few years ago to create a very large industrial park that could attract new tenants. And so the companies that are there now, you've got Golden Home, which is a cabinetry maker based in China, you've got Red Bull an Austrian beverage company that makes those Red Bull energy drinks that's got a billion dollar factory where they'll be producing Red Bull products and other beverages there. And of course, most recently, Eli Lilly, the global pharmaceutical giant, which announced a brand new pharmaceuticals production plant, again, on the very same site that Philip Morris used to use to produce tobacco products. And if that isn't a perfect illustration of how North Carolina's economy has evolved, over the past couple of decades. Uh, I don't know what is because that that summarizes it in a nutshell in terms of how far North Carolina's economy has advanced uh, since the way we were a quarter century ago uh, throughout most of this state.
1: And the good news is almost all of those uh, new jobs pay considerably more than the jobs they replaced. And that uh, has helped grow North Carolina's average family income and so forth. Our guest is Christopher Chung, and we will be back. And when we come back, I want to talk about the automotive market, because all of a sudden, North Carolina is in the uh, automotive business, manufacturing business. And we'll talk about that and some other things when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. So you stay tuned.
0: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was
1: wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense.
0: When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
1: Hey, Ann, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends?
2: I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that.
0: Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa.
1: Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
0: We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is a man who is so important to the development of North Carolina's future. And that's Christopher Chung, who is the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And uh, Christopher, I want to talk about the automotive market, because all of a sudden, North Carolina has become a factor. And we're talking about uh, manufacturing plants that are going to work a whole bunch of people.
2: Yes, and... You look at economic development here in North Carolina over the past 25 years and, and for a, long, a large part of that 25 years, we actually saw a lot of our neighbors here in the U.S. Southeast be successful in attracting some of this automotive assembly activity. North Carolina, I think what most folks need to realize is we've long had a, a number of automotive suppliers, we call them tier one or tier two component manufacturers, either the different parts that go into a vehicle. We've long had a good base of those types of companies, 150 or more, uh, everything from transmissions to brake components to tires. We've had that type of production here. We just haven't had the automotive assembly. Uh, Whereas South Carolina, very successful in attracting the likes of BMW and Volvo, Alabama attracting Hyundai and Honda. And of course, at our expense, attracting a Toyota Mazda plant a few years ago, where we were a finalist. Tennessee, Georgia, they've all had success, Mississippi even, success in attracting automotive assembly. And that was always something that eluded North Carolina's economic development efforts. But as you said, in just the past eight months, North Carolina has announced at least two, hopefully there'll be more than that, but at least two investment decisions that are going to change that uh, result. First, you had Toyota out there near Greensboro announcing its electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant in December. And that's important, uh, not just because we're going to be having 2,000 employees out there making EV batteries, but when you look at how the electric vehicle industry supply chain works, I would say that a lot of folks are eager to see whether or not Toyota makes that decision one day to actually assemble vehicles right there next to the battery plant because batteries are very heavy. You don't want to ship those further than you need to. And so there's probably some good chance that that could be an option for them for future vehicle assembly. And then, of course, following that in March, you had VinFast, uh, an an upstart name in the EV space uh, that is currently producing vehicles in Vietnam for domestic consumption. But that has made a very ambitious bet uh, to supply the U.S. market and to do so from a factory in Chatham County, just 40 minutes southwest of Raleigh. And that's going to be again multiple thousands of jobs multiple billions of investment and so these two investments by a long recognized There's name long like rec- toyota by an upstart name in the auto sector like VinFast, like- and just in the span of eight months we've gone from not having any automotive related assembly to related these two to global family. names that have put their flags down here in north carolina and that's something to be tremendously excited and optimistic about
1: and uh, greensboro in that area also is welcoming uh, the possibility of, of manufacturing some airplanes
2: that's right yeah boom supersonic again another upstart name and that's looking to disrupt the way that the aviation industry works today by offering low-cost uh supersonic flight that gets you from new york to london i think in something like three and a half hours based on what their prototype modeling so they've got some time here as they produce a prototype for faa regulatory approval before they start cranking out aircraft that will hopefully go into operation here in the later part of the 2020s. But again, also something where the Triad, the Greensboro market, could be home to the next major disruption in the commercial aerospace industry.
1: So, what is, what's the timetable for these three that you mentioned—the Toyota, the best and the uh, uh, and the air, uh, aerospace uh, plant?
2: Yeah, so I will have to double check what Toyota's operational start date. I know that they are uh, very close to groundbreaking and starting construction of their facility. And I want to say it's about a two year construction period uh, before the factory starts cranking out the batteries. Of course, as I said, Uh, we don't know whether or not they plan to do vehicle assembly there in the future of course that is our hope that they not just make the batteries but everything that goes around the batteries Uh, whether that's in the cards how soon that would be that's hard to say vinfast has said that they hope to start factory construction sometime in 2022 with the first vehicles coming off the line in 2024 a very ambitious very fast timetable as well and then boom supersonic my understanding is, of course, the first stage here is to produce a working prototype of supersonic aircraft, which is what would go through some of the federal uh, FAA regulation uh, to get it certified to go into operation. And then, of course, that's a fairly lengthy process. Honda Jet had to do something very similar with the, the aircraft that it makes in Greensboro. But once you're through that federal FAA regulation uh, approval, then you're looking at starting to produce aircraft for United Airlines, Japan Airlines, and some of the other commercial customers that they've signed letters of agreement with.
1: I want to put in a plug for my hometown where I was born and raised, Bessemer City, North Carolina, because a long time ago, Lithium Corporation established a plant in Bessemer City to Produce lithium. And now, how important is lithium to the battery process?
2: Uh absolutely. Well, that is the dominant technology right now for not just EV batteries, but laptop batteries, cell phone batteries. Lithium-ion is the incumbent technology. And, and while there are, of course, always efforts to look at whether there are alternative technologies that could displace lithium-ion, so far no one has figured out how to do that at the same scale and cost. Uh, that lithium ion uh, batteries can be produced and so yes you need the raw material and right now a lot of the lithium uh, are, that's produced around the world that goes into electric vehicle batteries it comes from other parts of the globe and so there is some question there that if this is going to be the foundation for car technology in the future and we want to continue producing those batteries and cars in the united states do we want to be 100 percent dependent on lithium supplies from elsewhere in the world, especially if our relationships with those other countries are not necessarily friendly all of the time. And so domestic production of the lithium itself, North Carolina is very well positioned for that because we happen to have this natural seam of uh, essentially the the rock that produces lithium sitting right there, centered around Gaston County, west of Charlotte. Uh, But you've got companies like Albemarle Corporation and Piedmont Lithium that are looking to tap into this, to process it, and to supply the finished product that would then go into lithium ion batteries and, and essentially what powers everything uh, in our world increasingly.
1: Now, the, the move of Eli Lilly to Charlotte really opens up a whole new area for the Charlotte area, which has always been sort of a financial center. And this all of a sudden gives them a high-tech uh, pharmaceutical company, which is uh, a little new to that market.
2: Absolutely. I was actually just having that conversation with someone from the Charlotte um, uh, Regional Business Alliance earlier this week. So for a long time, so I've been in this role for about eight years now, and I, I know that when I would be out there talking to companies or to site selection professionals for a very long time, even in the very recent past, People still thought of Charlotte as primarily as a banking town, a financial services town, and that, that being the dominant industry where it would be hard to hire workforce or be successful if you weren't in that industry, which, of course, is, is not has never been a, a correct assumption, about I think. But it's important to remember that these perceptions of a place can very much affect whether a company will even take a hard look, let alone locate in a place that they assume to be one thing uh, when, in fact, it really is, is not the the perception that folks had around charlotte being essentially a banking or financial services town that's changed quite a bit with a few wins that charlotte has had in recent years uh, including in both the technology space so not financial technology but just overall technology software development Uh, they attracted some very uh, good investments in that sector uh, right before the pandemic which i think really helped their credentials as a tech hub. But then as you mentioned, Eli Lilly is something that we're all excited about, because you've got one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world that has decided that for this major new investment, which is important to their long term strategy, they are choosing Charlotte for the base of that, Uh, again, up in Concord, Cabarrus County, just north of Charlotte, Uh, they're choosing to put that investment in that region, which really burnishes the credentials of the region or at least starts to burnish the credentials of that region as a place where life sciences and pharmaceutical companies can also do very well. So now, all of a sudden, if we've got a major market like both the Triangle and also Charlotte that we can put forward as a potential location to some of these life science and biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies hey, I would much rather be able to go into that kind of pursuit with multiple options rather than feeling like it's, it's just the trying. So, again, being a statewide organization, we want to have a lot of different options to put in front of the clients that we get to work with.
1: Well, we want to talk a little bit about the fact that uh, North Carolina has about 20 counties, in, including Mecklenburg that we've talked about, Wake and Durham and uh, Guilford and Forsyth and uh, those counties that are doing quite well. What, uh, what are you doing to help the other 80 counties that in many cases are having a lot of struggle in attracting industry, and how do you go about helping them?
2: Well, what I would always say to that, and I get that question a lot, remember that going back to my explanation of what we do at the EDPNC, it isn't just about recruiting companies to North Carolina. In fact, if you look across the country in any given year, There's maybe four to five hundred of those decisions being made nationally where a company is putting a new facility somewhere. That's a very low number of deals for a lot of communities and a lot of counties and even a lot of states to be going after. So to bank entirely on business recruitment as an economic strategy has never been a good idea. It it may be okay as a state because you've got a very big palette, uh, a very big canvas to paint on. If you're a town or even a county, you're really talking about a very small numerator and a very large denominator in terms of the types of deal or number of deals you can go after. And that's why we do n- multiple things under the banner of economic development here in North Carolina. Take tourism, for example. Tourism is economic development in a lot of our more rural areas of the state, especially up in the mountains and along the coast. Those are areas that either because they don't necessarily have the size of labor pool or they don't have the kind of supply chain or logistics uh, attributes, they're not likely to be attracting major new manufacturing of any scale. In fact, in some of those areas in the mountains, for example, you may not even have the sufficient size of industrial real estate that can accommodate a very large manufacturing plant because you need a flat piece of land to do that. You may even in some of these uh, mountain and coastal communities, you may even have some communities that don't necessarily even want a lot of manufacturing in their areas. What they do depend on economically is tourism people who are coming in from outside the community, looking to spend a few days or a week or two on a vacation on a home rental, spending their money on the local restaurants, hotels, motels, attractions, the things that fuel the tourism economy. That is one way, one of many ways we try to address economic growth across the entire state, including in some of our most rural areas which fortunately also are blessed with some of those things that draw visitors and tourists in from all over the, the region and all over the country, sometimes even from overseas.
1: Very quickly, we, this segment's ending in just a minute, but what is the higher price of gasoline doing to our economy as far as tourism? Is that helping by keeping well, people closer to well, home or is it hurting?
2: Yes, yeah, so we're a drive state, so a lot of people do drive here. Uh, I think it's one of those things we're still waiting to see how it shows up in some of the tourism data. You go back to the early part of the pandemic where people stopped flying, and we clearly benefited because people got in their cars, to vacation, and as a drive state destination, we really saw that uptick on our coast and our mountains, especially during those early months of the pandemic. Time will tell in terms of what gas is doing. I suspect it's probably having a depressing effect on travel overall, but we haven't yet seen some of the data to bear that out in terms of how much.
1: Our guest is Christopher Chung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. And we've got another segment and we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, how they aid and assist startups and existing businesses. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay
0: tuned. To some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much but that's not necessarily true. (laughs) By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later, is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Watch out! You got
2: me! The galaxy
1: is safe once again.
0: In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by nfamilyfire, Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're
1: back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Christopher Chung who, as I think you said, you've been in this job eight years now. He is uh, the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina that works very closely with the Department of Commerce in recruiting industry and development of of our economy. And we've talked uh, about the new industries that are coming in. We've talked about the new automotive plants that are coming in and some of the big things. But one of the things that he mentioned early on uh, is – the support of existing employers because uh, we certainly want to be sure that the existing employers who've been paying taxes in north carolina for a long time are well taken care of as well and also uh, the startup of new businesses uh, for entrepreneurs who are wanting to start out so let's talk a little bit about some of the types of things that you do to aid and assist in this area
2: our existing industry support efforts are uh, they, they're, of course, all across North Carolina. So we've got someone in each of eight regions around North Carolina. And their principal job every day when they get up is to call on existing employers. And typically in the manufacturing sector, again, there, there are tens of thousands of, of employers in every single community. So we have to prioritize and and based on the way that we're best Uh, suited to assist companies, that tends to skew a little bit more towards industrial and manufacturing. So our folks in each of these regions get up every day, they call on existing employers in the manufacturing sector in their communities. And so they're sitting across from a plant manager or site lead, or sometimes even the company president, and they're just trying to understand first and foremost, what are the challenges that this company is facing? What are the roadblocks that may be holding them back? from continuing to expand and add jobs here in North Carolina. And then of course, once they understand what the biggest challenges are that that company is facing, then their job is try to figure out a suite of resources or services that can help that company overcome those barriers in such a way that they can keep expanding, keep growing, keep adding jobs in North Carolina. Frankly, for the better part of the past several years, workforce has been the biggest challenge or pain point that we hear about from existing employers that we talk to. Attracting the right skill set, retaining those employees, that continues to be a big issue, probably the biggest issue that we hear time and again from companies that we, existing employers that we get the chance to work with. You'd be amazed that for a lot of these employers, of course, they're focused on their product or their service and they don't necessarily have a whole lot of time to be thinking about or exploring some of these potential solutions to the challenges that are affecting their businesses. So sometimes it's as simple as introductions to some of the resources that can help them on the workforce front. We we talked earlier uh, about community colleges and the role that they play in providing training for employees. Uh, There are a lot of other great nonprofit or public workforce development institutions that can also help employers to find, screen, recruit, and retain employees. So sometimes it's just helping a company walk through all of these different things that could be available to them to help with this very big issue. Uh, Sometimes it's a permit, maybe they're getting ready to consider an expansion and perhaps they need a, a road to be widened or some piece of infrastructure to be upgraded to accommodate that maybe there's an environmental permit they'll need to secure if it's a specialized type of manufacturing so it's helping that company navigate that process and getting the answers that they need getting them the the services that they need to go ahead and, and take the plunge on that expansion and then of course there are certain state incentives that are made available to companies including existing employers anytime that they're looking to potentially add jobs and make new investment. So sometimes we're helping facilitate that process for companies by helping them understand what it takes to access these state or local incentives that can reward them for creating new jobs in that community. It's really, it's a different conversation for every single company, but I would say consistently across the board in recent years, it's really, what can you do at EDPNC to help me find, attract, and retain the workforce that I need as an employer to be successful?
1: We read a lot and see the effects of the supply chain problem that we're having now in the in the United States. I, I know, again, talking about my little hometown of Westminster City, they were telling me the other day that they'd ordered a piece of equipment uh, and the delivery date is 15 months out. Uh, what problems are we having that are affecting the businesses in North Carolina, and is it getting better or is it getting worse?
2: I don't know that it's getting better. I hope it's not getting worse, but this supply chain, so difficulty of getting certain materials or products or components, that is certainly something that the pandemic, I don't know that the pandemic is 100% responsible, but it's certainly very responsible for causing a lot of these shortages that affect businesses' ability to operate. Of course, the the recent uh, increase in prices across the board for everything, most notably fuel, uh, that is of course having some impact on the economics of of how a business operates here in the state. And and in some cases, what we've actually seen, Don, is uh, the increase in costs uh, for things like construction materials uh, and fuel has actually even made companies hit pause on their search for a brand new location. So maybe we're talking to them about recruiting some type of a manufacturing facility to the state. And because of escalating costs, they've decided to table that decision, at least until the cost environment gets a little bit better. Uh, We hate to see that, but you can certainly understand from the company's perspective, if they think that maybe the situation will get better here in the next few months or in a year, Mm maybe it's worth in some cases slowing down that search process uh so we see this manifest in a lot of different ways if if i could tell you when it's going to get better uh i'd I'd probably be making a whole lot of money uh doing something else to be able to predict that the reality is i'm like a lot of folks i i don't know when these prices uh, will stabilize let alone start to go down but it clearly is having some effect on the decision making with the companies that we get the chance to work with
1: I was talking to a business, uh, a industrial business owner a couple of days ago, and he said he was going to go to a uh, four day week, 10 hour work days. And he said that will cut down on, he said a number of my employees travel 20 to 40 miles a day to come to work. And he said, uh, quite frankly, he said, I think a 10 hour day is more efficient. Uh, Are you seeing that as a trend? Is that something we might see more and more companies go to? four day work days?
2: I think it really depends on the industry. If you're in a bricks and mortar type of operation where you need a physical presence, so think retail, uh, that that may not be as practical to reduce the number of days in the week because you are essentially giving up on a whole day's worth of of customers. I mean, you take Chick-fil-A for example, right? Chick-fil-A, respect their policy, they don't open on Sundays, but think how much in additional sales they are forfeiting by not being open that seventh day of the week. What I think is happening in some cases, I think if you're an office-based employer or let's call it a technology company, yeah, perhaps you have that luxury of saying it's a four-day work week or you can have folks work remote some number of days per week so that they're not physically commuting. Uh, That's an option to help employees save on gas prices. I think what we're seeing in other cases, especially in the tourism and hospitality lodging sectors, is staffing challenges. That ability to hire people in to work in these bricks and mortar establishments, whether they are restaurants uh, or retail or something like that, if they can't find enough people to stay open, uh, for as much time as they would like to, then they're going to restrict their operating hours. Uh, a at, at, you know, good case in point: I was driving back from Greensboro to Raleigh a couple months ago and uh, stopped at a, I think it was a Burger King, uh, on off of uh, the Burlington exit on 40. And this was 7 p.m. So I figured you know, I, was cra- I was craving a Whopper, and uh, I pulled up and and when I got to the dive, tree, they were closed, and they had signs saying during the week our hours Monday through Wednesday we close at 6 p.m. I'm guessing that's because of staffing shortages. And think about how much in sales that they're forfeiting by not being open those extra two, three, four hours. And I think you're seeing this in a lot of different industry sectors. And what it's doing is reducing the overall capacity of the economy to produce the goods and services that people are looking for. Uh, And I think it really does boil down to staffing shortages for a lot of these businesses. Broadband is uh, one of
1: the things that uh was very much in the news about a year ago, and and, and both the federal government and the state government has uh, looked at this problem and realized how important it is. Are we making enough progress there to carry broadband into those areas that are underserved? I,
2: I certainly believe that there's a lot of money out there through some of these federal recovery programs uh, that came about. Once the pandemic hit and a lot of these federal dollars, which of course channel down into the states, states, including North Carolina, have wisely been putting a good amount of that money towards physical infrastructure, uh, including broadband extension. I think it's over said by this point, but the pandemic has taught us that uh, you need to be connected from a digital standpoint to access not just employment for those who are able to telecommute. Uh, but you can use broadband to access education. You can use broadband to access medical and healthcare. Uh, You need to have that. And unfortunately still too many people in the United States don't have the actual physical infrastructure that they can tap into. Fortunately, I think some of these federal dollars, uh, if they're wisely invested by the states, which I think is happening on this issue, uh, then that's going to really make a dent in building out the infrastructure. You still have issues like digital literacy. So just because you've extended broadband so that it can serve homes, if you're dealing with individuals or families who've never had that service before, are they going to know how to utilize it? Are they going to know uh, what, they, what hardware they need to purchase to take advantage of it? You've got that aspect of it well. And I know North Carolina is taking some of these federal dollars and investing in boosting digital literacy among the people who benefit the most from incorporating broadband into their lives. So again, not just about the physical infrastructure, but you also got to make sure people know how to take advantage of this in a way that allows them to access employment, education, and even healthcare opportunities.
1: We have two ports in North Carolina, Moorhead City and the Wilmington area. Uh, It's always seemed to me that they don't get their fair share. Are we getting a better share of the Port business from, say, Virginia and South Carolina, where do we stand with our ports?
2: So being a smaller port than Charleston, Savannah, and Norfolk has a lot of advantages, especially when you look at what's been going on in some of the global shipping industry. Long story short, when you hear the North Carolina Ports Authority folks tell it, being that smaller port, yes, they, they don't have the same, you know, probably by an order of 10, and a number of, of containers coming through, but they are able to be a lot nimbler. And so uh, turn times when a truck is coming in to pick up a container or drop off a container, that ability to process traffic and get it off of ships and onto trucks and rail or get it off of rail and trucks onto ships, being a smaller port actually conveys some advantages of being able to be faster on that type of thing. And so that is one of those advantages that our ports have been able to to tee up with potential shippers during the pandemic. And we've all seen and read a lot of these stories about congestion at ports. That is not a reality for North Carolina's ports. And that is a major selling point right now for the ports as they continue to attract shipping lines that call on Wilmington and to some extent that call on Moorhead City.
1: And of course, uh, we have always been blessed with uh, good uh, rail transportation. Uh, Where do we stand there?
2: So rail, of course, we've got great freight rail providers, uh, Norfolk Southern and CSX being the two big ones. And for a lot of these manufacturing projects that we hope to attract to North Carolina, rail service is important. Uh, Usually about one out of every five of those deals, they have to have good freight rail service. The interesting developments are really going to be around passenger rail. Uh, North Carolina DOT, Department of Transportation, just secured some funding to do the next phase of planning a major passenger rail improvement between Raleigh and Richmond. Uh, The idea being that that could serve in some part as a commuter rail feeder. Uh, So that we're taking cars off the roads every day, reducing traffic congestion, but still allowing people to get into the cities from outlying areas using passenger rail. Uh, That's an exciting development. So I think that's going to be one of those areas that we're excited to watch because it has a lot to do with where people choose to live, where they choose to commute, how they choose to get around North Carolina. And hopefully it's one of those areas that we see some physical infrastructure investment happen in, in the next several years.
1: Our guest is Christopher Chung, and we have one final segment coming up. And in that segment, I want to talk about how you go about your job of recruiting industry. Uh, and we'll do that. We're going to take a break for these commercial messages. And right after that, we'll be back with Christopher Chung. You stay tuned.
2: As an 18 year old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and
1: who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter, has has been more than the support that I could ask
2: for. I've been given an opportunity and I'm just thankful for it.
0: No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo.
1: GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner they're my fave dad you're the goat you
0: don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same visit adoptuskids.org. brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services adopt
1: u.s kids and the ad council
0: carolina newsmakers continues and once again here's don curtis
1: welcome back to carolina newsmakers a reminder a number of our stations carry a half hour version of this program If you are listening to one of those stations, there are two additional segments that you can listen to by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, our producer, Jason Kong, will have those two segments that you do not hear on your station. He'll have those off so that you can listen to those. Or if you'd like to hear the entire broadcast again or share it with a friend, you can do that as well. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. Our guest this week is Christopher Tung. He's the CEO of the Economic Development Partnership of North Carolina. Uh, we, we listed five actual duties and responsibilities that this, this uh, agency has, but uh, uh, I want to focus basically in this segment on how you go about recruiting industry. Uh, and uh, the first thing that sort of comes to mind here is this is sort of a chicken and egg situation. Uh, Christopher, uh, you know, uh, uh, which comes first? Do the uh, manufacturers or people who are looking to relocate uh, or establish a business call you first or do you call them? Which, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Great question.
2: Both happen at the same time. The, the way that we go about this, of, of course, when you look at the total universe of business recruitment deals that we're working mm-hmm. on at any given time, And i think as of as of this afternoon don we're sitting on about 200 of of what we call business recruitment projects so this is a company that doesn't have a facility here in north carolina today and we're trying to get them to locate that facility here we have a whole separate pipeline of projects where we're talking with existing employers about expanding i'm really just talking about those situations where we're trying to attract something new in from the outside so 200 of those different projects, the vast majority of those, they are coming by way of a company or their representative uh, contacting us and basically saying, "Hey, we are planning, call it a, and uh, we're planning an electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant, and these are our requirements, and North Carolina is one of several states that we are looking at for this potential new investment." However, we also have a team that is focused on finding those projects. Uh, this is our business development team, and, and they're hitting a lot of different industry events and networking with the kinds of individuals who might be aware that their company is getting ready to start the search for a new location. It's just they haven't actually gone out there officially with those requirements. The, the idea being that if we can get a bit of an inside track with this particular company before they ever start engaging other states. We might have some advantage in coming out on top in that competition. Uh, But the bottom line is we don't want to wait for the phone to ring. We want to try to generate our own deal flow. And that's why we have this portion of our organization, which is out there really trying to shake the bushes, find those companies that are in growth mode, and hopefully identify the companies that actually have projects that they are planning today where North Carolina might be a reasonable fit. And of course then get North Carolina be the ultimate winner of that. But I'd say sure. nine, uh, 80% of the deals that we work are the result of us not not ever knowing about it. We get that phone call though, where a company has let us Companies. know that we're on the list and they begin to need our assistance in finding appropriate locations around North Carolina for that opportunity. For that
1: opportunity. So what are some of the, say, the top five things that you hear from people who are looking to relocate, uh, what, uh, what are they most concerned about?
2: It's really, as many companies as we interact with, you could probably see that it's different for every single company. This is not all that different than uh, people looking for a home, right? I, I don't know how many homes you've uh, looked for in your lifetime, Don, but you probably had your list of wants and you had your list of yeah. needs. Companies are the same way. They have things that they absolutely must have. And usually that's logistical considerations, maybe proximity, for example, to raw materials or proximity to a port where their finished products would get shipped out of. Uh, They have other wants, such as if they're planning a major new manufacturing plant, they usually have a specific real estate need. It's got to be 250 acres or larger with heavy power, heavy water, heavy sewer. Of course, they also have their nice-to-haves, and sometimes that's about the type of community that they're in or the business climate that they wanna be operating from. The bottom line is we try to figure out for every single one of these companies, what are the things most important to them? I'd say, generally speaking, of course, access to workforce. Every company, as we've talked about already, is really keen on making sure they've got the human capital they need, and it doesn't matter what industry, they need to have the human capital, they need to be successful. Uh, Real estate is frequently, especially for industrial or manufacturing, these very large factories that you hear about North Carolina trying to recruit, they have a very defined real estate requirement. And that's a very uncommon type of real estate that they're searching for. So that is one of the ways that we narrow down that list pretty quickly. In recent times, I'd say for a lot of these manufacturing firms, Don, they're going to be consuming a lot of energy. Uh, It it takes a lot of electricity, for example, to produce uh, semiconductors or electric vehicle batteries. More and more companies that we are talking to every day express a desire, if not a requirement, that the power they consume at their manufacturing facilities be sourced from renewable energy. And different companies will have different definitions of renewable, but generally solar wind, those are two consistent forms of renewable energy that companies express a very strong desire for, like that is one of their requirements or criteria where they say we're going to be producing or consuming X amount of electricity every year. We want it to be 100% renewable by 2030. And of course, we work very closely with the Duke Energies and Dominion Energies and the co-ops of the world to sit down around a table and figure out how are we going to satisfy that need if they choose to locate in North Carolina. But I think this focus on renewable clean energy, that's because these companies Uh, they have stakeholders and employees and customers who expect their products to be made using renewable energy and that is why you're seeing it as more and more of a criteria in the types of projects that we compete for
1: one of the things that you think north carolina needs to do or improve on or spend more money or whatever to become more business friendly i think i think generally speaking we must be viewed as a business friendly state to begin with because you're already having a number of successes, but what else can we do?
2: We are very well regarded, as we talked about earlier, as a business climate, and, and that's borne out by a lot of these third-party rankings, whether that's CNBC okay. or Forbes or Chief Executive Magazine, consistently top 10, if not top five, best states to do business. I think North Carolina's made a lot of headway in terms of tax policy over the past decade. Uh, this is before my time, but Uh, some of our corporate tax and even our individual personal income tax policies were seen as a little bit less friendly to people and to businesses. And I know that's something that the the legislature worked a lot on going back as far as a decade. We're in pretty good shape there, I'd say, Uh, with our tax rates being what they are. We we don't hear that come up as as a challenging point. Uh, I would say consistent investments in education, because that is the the K through 12 education population. That is what fuels our future workforce. So we gotta make sure that the kids going through our K through 12 public schools have the foundational skills and knowledge to be successful in whatever the economy looks like by the time that they graduate into the workforce. Investments in infrastructure, whether that's to move people or to move products, you cannot go wrong with continuing to invest in that physical infrastructure, whether that's our ports, our roads, our bridges, our airports, our rail. That's, of course, very necessary. I'd say one challenge we're facing at right now that's very acute. We continue to be going after very large manufacturing facilities. Again, think EV battery manufacturing or EV assembly or even semiconductor production. These are manufacturing facilities that need hundreds if not thousands of developable acres of land for that factory uh, that has heavy electricity connections heavy water heavy sewer and they have to be close to the kinds of population centers that support the hiring of thousands of skilled employees so yeah there are plenty of big pieces of land out in the country Uh, that have all of those other utilities, but they're nowhere near anybody. And so it's gonna be really hard for a company to set up stakes there and, and, and get the workforce to commute in. So these companies are looking for all those different criteria, and we just don't have a whole lot of those types of what we call mega sites that are still in our inventory. And that could be one of those limiting factors where the next company that comes to us looking for a mega site, if we don't have a good one that fits their criteria, We're probably not going to last in that conversation for very long, and they're going to end up in a state that does have that particular piece of real estate that they need. That is a very, very granular issue, but is a very real issue in terms of barriers to success. We want to continue attracting these transformative deals to North Carolina, but that's predicated on having these mega sites available to put in front of companies with that kind of a manufacturing need.
1: We hear talk of a recession. Most of the economists that I talk to uh, or listen to all say they think it's going to be mild and probably short. But since most of the work you're doing is long range planning, will that actually have any real effect on your work? Will it slow down anything?
2: Uh, I can't imagine it wouldn't slow down, and, and that's it's only because it's been uh, busy as an overused word in every profession, including economic development, but it really has been busier than anything that that I've seen in 25 years of doing this work, Donna. These past two years, starting from about June of 2020 to, to where we sit today, the, the regularity, the volume of deals that we get the chance to compete for, and the size of these projects has been unlike anything that I've seen, and, and that most of my colleagues in this industry have seen. So it's hard not to imagine that a recession would slow that down. And and that actually would give us all a little bit of a chance to catch our breaths after a very, very active past couple of years. What extent will it depress activity? That's always the the $64,000 question. I think we are starting to see decisions take a little bit longer. Uh, the, the deal flow hasn't slowed down noticeably, but the, the amount of time from the, when we get that first phone call to when a company makes a decision, that seems to be stretching out ever so slightly a little bit in the past few months. And I do wonder a little bit if that's not because companies are very mindful that if the economy starts to soften, How much, how quickly do they want to commit to spending hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars on a brand new facility? And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit in terms of that slowdown of decisions.
1: Well, I know that secrecy is uh, very important in this thing, but uh, can you uh, maybe give us a little bit of a forecast and say, should we expect any good news to come out uh, as far as economic development in, say, the next three months?
2: Well, look. Every announcement is good news, right? They, they can't all be yeah, uh, VinFast and Toyotas and, and thousands of, of jobs. That look a hundred job project in rural North Carolina. That's just as important, if not more so, than than three thousand jobs uh, somewhere here in the Triangle. So, every single one of these projects that decides that North Carolina is the place for their future growth. That is that we all consider that to be big news for that particular community. In terms of the types of headline grabbing big project announcements, uh, we're always working a number of what we think will be a headline grabber if we are lucky enough to be chosen. Uh, But as you said, those are confidential till such time as they can be ready to be announced, but you'll be among the first to know. How's that?
1: That's great. Christopher, thank you so much for being with us. Christopher Chung. And uh, we look forward to you coming back and sharing uh, some more news about economic development in North Carolina. Our our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations. So next week, have a good week, everybody.
0: Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com.